Welcome to World Policy On Air, a weekly podcast from the pages and website of World Policy Journal, published by the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. I'm David Alpern. On this week's show, premiering February 20th, 2015, we'll be speaking with Peter Atwater, an expert on the impact of social mood on financial and political decision-making, about his journal blog post, The Syriza Triumph, on key factors in and fallout from the recent Greek elections. We'll also point out other top stories in the issue, but first some timely insights from Washington with Paul Brandis, who runs the website West Wing Reports. Well, much of Washington is monitoring Jeb Bush as he begins outlining his foreign policy views ahead of what's expected to be a run for the White House. Bush, who's regarded as the frontrunner for the GOP nomination for president, says one key problem with America's current foreign policy is that it fails to instill fear among American enemies abroad. Bush's key foreign policy aides include top officials from his brothers, fathers, and the Reagan administration, including former secretaries of state George Shultz and James Baker. The current president, meantime, is weighing his options amid evidence that last week's ceasefire in Ukraine is falling apart. Russian-backed rebels say the ceasefire, brokered by Ukraine, Russia, Germany, and France, does not apply to key portions of eastern Ukraine that they control. The U.S. and Germany continue to say that they oppose sending any lethal aid to Kiev. The U.S. does say, however, that it will step up aid to Syrian rebels. Trucks, machine guns, and radios that can be used to call in airstrikes will be sent. Still to be worked out, though, are the scope of the airstrikes themselves and ensuring that U.S. aid does not fall into the wrong hands. Such airstrikes are seen as complementing the ongoing American air campaign against ISIS. The U.S. is also beginning to approve the sale of its most sophisticated drones to key U.S. allies who are clamoring for the so-called Big Three drones, the Predator, Reaper, and Global Hawk, drones capable of flying a distance of 300 kilometers and carrying a payload of 500 pounds would be included. For World Policy On Air, I'm Paul Brandis at the White House. You're listening to World Policy On Air. Now this. The cheers for victorious Syriza party leader Alexis Tsipras on election night in Athens had hardly faded before his new government started trying to match its anti-austerity aims and left-wing ideology to the fiscal mess that threatens Greece and to no small degree the larger world economic order. A February 16th deadline to apply for bailout extension and maintain Eurozone financial backing with ongoing austerity requirements was initially rejected by the new Athens regime. It wanted only a temporary financial bridge to avoid the nightmare scenario, a massive Greek default and ultimate exit from the Eurozone, already nicknamed Grexit. Psychological and social factors underlying the financial crisis are examined in a World Policy Journal blog post by Peter Atwater. He's an expert on the impact of social mood on fiscal and political decision-making, and I talked earlier with him about it. Peter Atwater, welcome to World Policy on Air. Thank you, David. 
Uh, Bill Clinton's first presidential campaign was famous for the slogan, it's the economy, stupid. But you say the triumph of Syriza, the headline on your post, has psychological roots that go far deeper than opposition to austerity or high unemployment and falling gross domestic product. Talk about low confidence in the way people perceive, plan, and pick political or economic policies. Sure. When our confidence is low, it dramatically alters our preferences, decisions, and actions. And there are some factors that really begin to weigh in. Uh, I call low-confidence decision-making me-here-now choices because self-interest, short-term time preferences, close physical and ethnic proximity all dominate the choices we make. And so you see that in economic decision-making where there's a lack of investment, there's a reluctance to hire. You even see it in political decision-making and the polarization of political candidates and choices that we make. So there's a, a consideration for how we feel as an input of the choices we make. And then when I look at Greece, I see a really rich mosaic of behaviors that suggest that at its core, Greece is expressing an extreme low level of confidence in the actions that, it, that the populace has taken. But doesn't low confidence follow inevitably when bad outcomes from bad decisions or bad circumstances come along despite high confidence? Even confident people, and especially overconfident people, sometimes make mistakes. Yes, overconfident people and, and overconfidence naturally begins the cascade of greater and greater declines in confidence. Uh, we, we take too much risk. Uh, in the case of the country, we might borrow too much. We might have, you know, economic investment that really doesn't make sense. But what you start to see are decisions that reflect lower and lower levels of confidence. And I, I would agree that it's a it's a cycle of of increasing viciousness. But I think that so many economists and public policymakers look at the impact of decision-making on confidence as opposed to confidence's role in the choices that we make. And I think what we're seeing today in Greece are very deliberate choices that reflect low confidence. Indeed, while many people see it as aroused spirits bravely challenging financial oppressors at home and abroad, uh, you see a show of real fearfulness. Yes, and, and you could really see that fearfulness expressed uh, during 2012, you know, the policymakers focused a lot on the financial aspects of, you know, the, the first restructurings of, of Greek debt. But what was extraordinary to me was the political outcome from the elections in 2012. And what you saw was a complete elimination of the political center, and you had a pancaking of votes from the far right all the way to the far left. And I wrote about this for the World Policy Institute because what it looks like behaviorally is panic. There's no agreement. There's no sense of certainty. And so you saw 
voters really choosing a candidate that met their me here now needs and it really is a spectacular exhibition of what happens when confidence reaches a precarious low it's uh, almost a, a Serengeti-like experience where the herd scatters to wherever they see safety. And you saw that politically in the, in the election outcome from 2012. Talk about the signs of decreasing confidence elsewhere in Europe, even in Germany, and how that impacts the dynamic of decision-making about support for Greece now. Uh, what you see in really across Europe are several elements that suggest deteriorating confidence. One would be the secessionism movement, and you've seen that in Scotland, in Spain. Uh, you're seeing it in uh, divisions even in, in Germany today. Uh, again, this need for clarity around uh, ethnic or geographic uh, horizon. Uh, you're seeing it in the rise of extremism, uh, extreme right-wing parties, extreme left-wing parties. You're seeing it in anti-immigration sentiment and you know, countries trying to redefine what it means to be truly German or truly French or truly British. Uh, those are not signs of, of strength. Those are those are policymakers and, and a population responding to this need for me here now choices. That has a dramatic effect on any kind of negotiation that now takes place between Greece and the Troika, because unlike 2012, where there was a sense of benevolence and and countries like Germany uh, being, you know, the, this strong lifeguard for the rest of Europe, uh, there is a, a clear inwardness, and it brings up issues of what is fair, what is right, and those are very subjective and are now being filtered through increasing nationalist uh, lenses, and I think it will really make a, a satisfactory resolution of the situation in Greece very difficult because there's no sense of generosity now across Europe. Just a brief break here to say this is World Policy on Air. Now back to Peter Atwater, an expert on social factors and financial policy. Greek finance minister Yanis Varoufakis brought up Germany's Nazi past in a vain mission to Berlin. How important is this emotional historical factor, with Greeks never forgetting the death toll of German occupation, forced loans from their banks in World War II, and furious now at Berlin-mandated austerity they see fueling neo-Nazi elements like the New Dawn Party in Greece? Um, symbols are extremely important when confidence is low, particularly nationalist symbols. There's a behavior that takes place when our confidence declines that I refer to as zero-sum thinking, where we believe that our misfortune has come at the at the benefit of someone else. And so it's not at all um, 
uh, insignificant. It's it's extremely meaningful that you have Greeks uh, taking very clear focus on the history from the Second World War and are really uh, rallying around this on a nationalist basis. And at the same time, you're seeing the opposite in countries like Germany, who are being, you know, where populations are being very demanding that Germany take a much harder line against the 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 Greek government. And and stereotypes also begin to play into this. And so you'll see, you know, references to the the Greeks as as lazy or, or weak or corrupt, which may or may not be true, but those uh, those stereotypes quickly translate into uh, prejudice, into discrimination, and become real uh, a real feeding ground for the sentiment, uh, particularly at the political and social extremes. On strictly economic terms, Greece also recalls the London Conference of 1953 that wrote off half of Germany's post-World War II debt, uh, leading to an economic boom. How relevant is that memory and that precedent to the crisis now? Uh, again, it becomes a very important symbol. And there's an odd nature, to, especially to that one, because when you write off debt, when you when you have a restructuring, when you have a uh, a default, those mark extreme lows in confidence, and so it's not a coincidence that you then saw a strengthening of the German economy after that, because policymakers inevitably act at the bottom. Uh, you're seeing that in the foreign exchange markets today as central banks are responding to a strong dollar. So it is not at all a coincidence that Greeks are associating that with a turning point for Germany and believe that that's an appropriate uh, decision action for Greece because of what it suggests for the future after that. And in many respects, they're right to believe that because whether there's a restructuring or a uh, an exit or a bankruptcy of uh, on Greek sovereign debt, that will mark a enormous low. And you would expect after that to see economic growth ramp up. The first foreign ambassador to meet Prime Minister Tsipras was Russia's. How important uh, to the key financial decisions ahead are Syria's past and present ties or proclivities toward Moscow as Russian backfighting in Ukraine continues to divide the U.S. and the EU? Uh, there's, a, there's an even stronger a connection between Russia and Greece that I see that relates to uh, social mood in both countries. Uh, you could watch in Russia over the last two years as social mood declined, greater and greater uh, military aggressiveness on the part of, of the Russian government and the the incursion into Crimea and into Ukraine really happening as Russian confidence was bottoming. 
And so you now have two nations who are taking um, very proactive, aggressive stances that reflect their low levels of confidence, and in that they are united. And so uh, Russia's own situation has the potential to seriously disrupt the the negotiating process between Greece and Western Europe. And it would not at all surprise me, for example, that you would see uh, Greece and Russia coming together in uh, Greece providing access to Russian naval ships uh, at Greek ports. Um, you know, Russia has taken really great advantage of Europe's unwillingness and inability to coalesce uh, around Eastern Europe because Western European nations are very inwardly focused today. And so the between weak Russian confidence and increasing nationalism in Europe, uh, you should expect Russia to become more aggressive here and given the linkages with Greece, uh, that's going to be a, a very significant factor, I believe, in what what happens from here. Finance Minister Varoufakis, writing in World Policy Journal before the election, said a prerequisite for solving the Greek crisis was, quote, an investment-led European New Deal that bypasses the Greek state, Europeanizes the Greek banks, manages essential elements of the public debt, and thus allows the government to introduce gains in efficiency that will make it truly viable in the long run, unquote. A tall order. Does it sound viable to you politically or financially? Um, I think that it needs to be viable socially. The austerity is such a um, demoralizing action, particularly when it is imposed from afar. And again, it just really uh, resonates with the underconfident as being punitive, as being a they against we event. And so for Greece, uh, this needs to be a moment of uh, investment, of mobilization, of coalescence around the future. And I think that uh, the notion that we can continue to uh, mandate austerity as a precondition for additional funding uh, just flies in the face of, of current Greek social mood. Um, it, Greek confidence has risen dramatically since the election, and that is not going to be, a, because of that, uh, Tsipras cannot uh, allow the negotiation to reimpose additional austerity. Uh, social mood is going to force him to become even more aggressive. Well, you write that European policymakers should shift their focus from economic and monetary policies and target morale front and center to improve confidence, hope, and growth. But what specific steps would you suggest? Um, I think that to date in Europe, the entire focus of 
the Greek situation has been financial, and it is really related to the rights of creditors versus the rights of voters and the public. And what has happened so far is that creditors have been spared at the expense of voters. And that is not sustainable in a period of weak underconfidence. And to those who are without confidence, all it is doing is exaggerating the perception of inequality and that you know those that have have even more off the backs of those that have very little and i think that policymakers need to recognize that this notion that the beatings will continue to more, till morale improves is a just an extension of a very vicious cycle and that there needs to be a a completion of a renegotiation of the debt that acknowledges uh, the country's inability to uh, achieve a a budget that uh, is sufficient to continue to pay the debt and begins to focus on investment and rebuilding uh, the country uh, from a confidence perspective on out. You will, you will never have recovery without a coincidental boost in confidence. But that's still uh, economic and monetary policy. Your sentence suggested that there's a, uh, there are non-economic levers that might improve morale, and I'm, I'm thinking we're past the age of bread and circuses. Is, is there anything beyond those exact negotiations themselves that would improve confidence or coherence or cohesion? I think you're starting to see that in a, uh, in a strengthened uh, national government that is uh, recognizing the needs of the, the citizenship broadly. I think that you know, we, we need European leaders to see that um, the need for uh, confidence is going to come from within and that, in fact, the the less intervention from foreign governments and foreign policymakers in Greece, uh, the the greater the odds of of long term success. And as you can imagine, that flies in the face of a very pan European mindset that exists across most European policymakers. If all fails and Grexit, as it is called, follows, to what extent and on what timeline do you see a larger EU unraveling? I think that Grexit is a beginning because uh, Greece is not alone in uh, its experience with weak social mood and, and chronic underconfidence. You see it in broad populations in Spain, in Italy, in France. And I think that uh, Greece could easily be the Tunisia of a European uh, spring that has multiple countries in the south exiting from the, the Eurozone. Uh, I think Brexit is rapidly 
approaching, and it wouldn't surprise me that uh, you could see other countries uh, soon follow suit. Peter Atwater, thank you. Thank you very much, David. Peter Atwater is an expert on the impact of social mood on financial and political decision-making. We talked about his recent journal blog post, The Series of Triumph. Also featured in the winter 2015 issue of World Policy Journal, you'll find articles on Italy's secret glue, on choosing jihad in Tunisia and beyond, and on the melancholy of Hong Kong. Plus, tune into next week's podcast as we talk with Mideast expert Alon Ben-Mir at the NYU Center for Global Affairs about his recent journal blog post, Choosing Between Promise or Peril, on Israel's pending elections and continuing struggle with the Palestinians. World Policy on Air is a production of World Policy Journal at the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. Editor-publisher David Andelman, managing editor Yaffa Frederick, online news editor and podcast producer Matthew DeMello. I'm David Alpern. <laughs>